Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Friday, June 17th, 2016. I'm Kitsy Stern, and I produce the podcast as an act of love and service to our global Kirtan family. And it's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. Well, something momentous has happened since we last talked. I've had cataract surgery on both eyes. This procedure has become truly miraculous in recent years in that the lens that has the cataract was replaced with a lens that is basically my contact lens prescription implanted inside my eye. Oh, it is so awesome. I got my first pair of glasses in first grade. They were bifocals and the frames had pink sparkles. So I've never really seen the world clearly without glasses or contact lenses. And one blessing of the surgery is that I don't think I'll need glasses from this point on. The cataract was removed from my right eye on Tuesday and my left eye yesterday. And when I took the bandage off my left eye, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe how much clearer and sharper my vision was. Even colors look different. They're brighter. They're more saturated. Ah, the world appears shiny and new. Another blessing. I'm enjoying seeing the world with truly new eyes. I'd like to thank all of you so much who are now helping us with the podcast expenses by contributing monthly. These small amounts really add up and they help to offset our expenses. Another way to support the podcast is to buy things from the folks that support us, like White Swan Records, Old Delhi Music, and Russell Paul. Russell really has some excellent discounts for the New World Kirtan community. You can check it out from the ad on our website or by mentioning New World Kirtan when you enroll in his courses. He also has written an article on the yoga of sound for us, and you can check that out on the New World Kirtan homepage. I've been taking Russell's courses as part of the Yoga Mystery School for about a year now, and I've had remarkable spiritual growth during this time. I highly recommend his teachings if you want to deepen your practice. Our listener survey is now complete. Thanks to all of you who took the time to fill it out. I'm putting the results together, and I'll tell you about them in the next podcast. Summer festival season is here. Woohoo! And I hope I'll see some of you August 26th to the 28th at the brand new Lovelight Festival. It's being held at a fantastic venue, Camp Ramblewood in Maryland, and what a party it is going to be. Their lineup is stellar. Krishna Das, his first concert after his sabbatical, Trevor Hall, Dave Stringer, Guru Ganesh Singh, among others, and New World Kirtan will be doing live updates from the festival throughout the weekend for Soul Traveler Radio. We'll also be doing an interview with founder Wynne Paris. Then I'll be heading up to the Fall Ecstatic Chant Weekend at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. This is an event I have heard so much about and I've always wanted to go to it. And as always, I'll be bringing you all of my experiences through the podcast. This week's show is part two in the series about where Western Kirtan is headed and you can look for part three in a day or so. We have the conclusion of the conversation with Waugh and Mike Cohen that began in part one of the series, and then I'll talk to Jai Utal and Ben Leinbach. That conversation will be concluded in part three, which will also include my talk with Nina Rao. She'll tell us how the Krishna Das channel came to be on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, and also about the change Sirius made earlier this year that has had a catastrophic effect on the income of our kirtan artists. I hope you, you find these podcasts informative. They're the only ones I've ever produced that don't contain music. And this is a different format, and probably I won't repeat very often, but it lends itself to this topic. 
Western Kirtan will flow where spirit directs it to flow, but I hope hearing what our artists have to say about their finances will perhaps impact your choices around where to spend money to help support them. Speaking of artists, I just loaded 20 new Kirtan CDs into my computer, so we'll have some massive Fresh Tracks infusions coming soon. Have fun in the sun, my friends, and thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Namaste. You know, within the, the, the basic business model as it exists on the internet, there are no real solutions at this moment. And, and perhaps um, bringing awareness of the situation is, is the first step. Uh, and I don't know, what do you think could help? What, what, what do you think might, I mean, is CD, do you make money from sales of CDs? Do you make more money when people come to your concerts? How can we help support live Kirtan in our own communities and throughout, and throughout the, the, the world, really? Well, those are, those are great questions, Kitsi. You know, I think Wa is, you know, doing a, a phenomenal job of painting the picture of how things are. And so raising awareness and building understanding certainly is the first first step. And, you know, I, I have been touring all over, uh, all over the U.S. really since my first album came out in 2009. I was been based in the Midwest. Now I'm in Boulder, Colorado. And I've been in New England and up and down the West Coast. And I've, I've been around a bit and I've seen how things have shifted. And things have changed um, drastically. I remember when I was making my first CD, and I somehow came across a video of um, Terry McBride, who founded both uh, Network and Newtone Records. I think it was Newtone that had all the Kirtan artists signed at one point. But yes. in 2009, yeah, yeah, that's right. So 2009, I saw a video of him, and he was talking about this thing called Spotify from, from Europe and what it was going to do. And here I was in the middle of making my first CD, and I thought, um, you know, he's basically saying that the music industry is going to change so dramatically you can't imagine it and it it really didn't hit um with my first cd but by the time my second cd came out in 2012 the amount of sales that uh were happening were were you know down to a trickle comparatively mm -hmm. so you know and it's it's further gone in that in that direction and it's it's very very hard for for anyone to to make a cd if no one will purchase it um so i i, I think that it's really important to just take stock of where we are and um you know, you're asking what are the solutions. I, I can throw a bunch of ideas out there. Yeah, I would like to come back to you and and uh, and hear some of those ideas. Was well, there anything that you wanted to say about what Mike just commented on? Yeah, I think within the music industry itself, um, the main source of income right now is then is is touring. So you have a lot of reunion bands. You've got the Eagles getting together. You've got, you know, Sting getting together with the police. And, you know, uh, there are festivals. Um, so right now, from a music industry standpoint, the way to make money as a musician is through live events. And so, you know, as that translates to the Kirtan community, um, you know, if Kitsy through your work, you know, if you can encourage people to come out for the events, you know, then that will make it somehow feasible for, you know, for us to continue to travel. 
so you know when I first started, as you described, with uh, I was I managed uh, Krishnadas for three years. Um, was supposed to be a collaboration, but very quickly became more of a managerial position for me. I organized the tours and hired the musicians and kind of ran the tour and and ran Krishnadas's finances. Um, back then, there wasn't an interest. You know, we were, when I started with Krishnas, we were getting 20 to 30 people each night. And when I finished with him in three years, um, I'd gotten him up to about 300 people. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked, I worked hard uh, and we toured hard. Um, but then after, you know, after that, then, it, you know, he, he was able to go from three to 500 and now, you know, he'll pull a thousand or so. Um so, you know, there became like a certain few, there were a couple of names of people that were from different traditions, I might add, that we all had different gurus and we had grown up with these traditions and come into the public eye at the same time. So we got to know each other. David Pramala met 10 are friends. Now they come from Osho and Krishnadas is from Maharaji and I'm from, you know, Amma. Um, you know, so there were these kind of big names. And then, you know, we've gone around and, and toured and we've trained people. And so now, Mike, as you say, there's a lot more people that are, are doing it uh, locally. And so, you know, the old paradigm basically has been that the people who travel are kind of those big names. So in the Kirtan world, you know, Krishnas, Deva, um, me, whoever, and then there are certain there's a local community that will kind of keep things going while when we're not there. Mm. And when we come into town, then people are like, oh, wow, we're coming into town. Let's go see him or her. Um, you know, if, if that diminishes, which it is slightly, um, you know, then I think we should, our, the solution really is then going back to the local paradigm. So basically local groups will get together and Mike will have a job uh, going around and training people on, on how to lead a good kirtan. And I think, you know, some of us will still be able to go into towns and, and tour and kind of be uh, a special event. So for now, I would, you know, that's just my, my two cents on um, the way that Kirtan artists can stay in business is either signing up for one or the other, either be the, lo the local uh, groups, you know, be part of the local community that keeps things going or, you know, tour with one of the names that's continuing to, to tour. But if it's not growing at the local level, then there won't be audiences for the, the touring Kirtan artists. And this is what I find anyway. You, I mean, you've come to Corvallis. You know, it's it, we keep it alive in here with the band, with my band and with um, the satsang group that we hold every Friday night. But when major artists come, it's important for communities to support them. Kitsi, uh, can I respond? Sure. Yeah. Um, what I'm doing in response to what you're describing is kind of a die-off of people coming to the kirtans. What I'm doing is uh, I'm doing informal kirtans, so I'm performing uh, solo uh, and not carrying a band, so that uh, reduces the need for a high a high income. But the thing that I wanted to tell you about is that what I am most doing is I'm doing yoga teacher training modules 
And so the millennials, and for the most part, the entire yoga community has no idea why you would sit alone in a room and sing to yourself. <laughs> and, and, and they have no idea, like, why would you chant Om? And what is Om? And, you know, what do these chants mean? And is it brainwashing? And, you know, there's a, a, a huge portion of the yoga community at large that is resistant or dead set against because of conflicting faiths um, that they don't want to have anything to do with kirtan. So what I've had to do is go back into the educational um, side of it and go and lecture to the yoga teacher trainees and say, this is what happens. This is how your body vibrates from the inside. This is how you can meditate using chant. This is how it leads to silence. This is what's happening inside your mouth. This is what happens with your tongue. This is what's happening in your third eye. And so that at least opens them to the idea that this is part of the practice because for the most part, it's being dropped from uh, yoga teacher training. Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. And and also what you're doing with your solo, I know you're coming to Portland in July. Uh, that also opens this up to another audience, doesn't it? What you're doing, um, could you elaborate on that a little? Yes. Um, for those who don't know, I have uh, expanded my reach by doing a healing concert, which is a multimedia uh, concert uh, guiding the audience into relaxation. We typically do these concerts in planetariums. So there'll be 30 minutes of planetarium, very slow moving visuals of our natural universe. Then we have an hour of bathing the audience in these uh, slow moving healing lights Mm. that rejuvenate skin tissue. They slow down brainwave activity. And at the end, we bring up 20 or 30 minutes of just looking at the earth, basically from the moon and watching the earth turn in space and singing, may all beings find peace, may all beings find peace, while you're looking at the Middle East, um, China, you know, all the areas of the world that are, are, are war-torn, uh, you're singing to, to the planet. And so this uh, concert is, the, the only call and response is at the end when we sing Lokaha Samasta, and the rest of it is designed to be more mainstream. So I sing... Mm-hmm. In Latin, I sing Ave Maria, I sing Kyrie Eleison, I sing pop songs. Most people who know my music know that I write love songs as well. Um, So I sing uh, love songs, I sing just improvisation on just Jema or on Saraswati, something that's not necessarily recognizable, and then I do an affirmation. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, so it's, it's... it has been a, a three and a half year transition so far, and I'm very happy to say that I'm finally selling out planetariums. It was uh, financially and emotionally very uh, insecure as mm-hmm. I made this transition, um, but people are, yeah, people are responding to it because of the overstimulation uh, and the the stress that has is now accompanying our lives. So, you know, I again, I. I I'm going back to why are we doing this? You know, Kirtan has the capacity to sedate, to lead to bliss, to lead to connection, both connection to self and connection to source and divinity, but not if you won't do it. And so, <laughs> like, so I'm like, okay, like what, yeah. what can I do in order to help you understand why this is so amazing? So I've gone into hospitals. I work with cancer patients. I, You know, I'm going 
everywhere just to say like sound carries love sound carries coherent energy and and we can we can find that together so you know it's we're uncovering a couple of different uh problems here one is the the internet and and the lack of money the other is that the yoga community is abandoning kirtan and uh, the other thing is what Mike said, which is that we've trained a lot of people to uh, do some simple chants. And so then there are local groups and local communities that then have a, they have like a weekly or a monthly uh, get together. And so then they don't want to go and see some other artist when they come into town. They want to just do what they do. So. Well, I'd like to speak to a few of the points that was raising. Um you know, first of all, what I what I hear is this is a transitional time. It's there's um, the internet is disrupting so much, and what I hear is Wa describing an amazing innovation. She said, "Hmm, okay, uh, here's this here's the situation. Here's my understanding. Um, what can I try? Imagine maybe there were several experiments along the way, and now something has been created that maybe is going to." encourage the spread of the practice of kirtan. And I, I think that's what's really essential there. Kirtan is such an incredible, amazing, useful practice. It calms our minds, it opens our hearts, puts us, connects us with our body, puts us in a state of being grateful. I think it's a very, very useful practice for humans. And why is it not happening more in the West and in the world, but particularly in the West? So when I hear what you're sharing, well, it's like, wow, Really clever, really innovative, really um, going to be interested to see where this where this goes. And so I, I think that's exactly what's called for right now is, in, is innovation. The other piece I want to say is that I think there's a, a need for community building and maybe in a particular way that hasn't happened as much as it could. So um, I'm here in Boulder now and there are many Kirtan communities and the way the different Kirtan leaders are organizing with each other and also organizing with someone like Wa when she comes into town, I think is sometimes um, wonderful and sometimes somewhat problematic. And what I see is sometimes there's a uh, collaboration and sometimes the Kirtan artists coordinate with each other. Well, I'm, I'm going to do an event this night and, um, you know, wh why don't you find an event on a different night? We, we organize with each other. The collaboration is wonderful. We do things together. And sometimes it's just sort of competition. And I think that there's a way that if there's that kind of collaboration, um, it creates synergy up and down mm -hmm. the line. I think that the, that level of um, synergy really requires a, a sense of um, respect and honor and um, collaboration and an understanding that sometimes is present and sometimes not so much. And so part of what I'm um, you know, looking to do as I'm training Kirtan leaders is you know, I'm working with them in leadership in musicianship and spirituality, uh, sometimes in entrepreneurship and in community building, and especially, especially community building. Mike, can I ask you, as a as a touring musician, to you who might be considered, um, you know, a leader within the local communities, how can the the touring musicians um, honor you or give back to you for having? created a uh, local interest and um, what's the protocol there? What, what would you like to have in return? 
Well, first of all, I just want to say that um, that's a, a beautiful question. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard that question. <laughs> that's that's and, pretty great, actually. And it's, it's so rare yeah. and it's so beautiful. And it creates that kind of um, mutual support that I think is really powerful. And um, so, so just I'm blown away by the question and I'm blown away by the way that you embody that every time I engage with you. And I think that's a really great question for um, all of us in this community to be in of um, what's good giving and receiving. There's no free lunch. Um, you know, pioneers like you, yourself, Christian Das, Jay Tal, Dave Stringer, built something. What, what, how can we be supportive in a return, you know? And sometimes, you know, the local folks, regional folks do, do a whole lot to um, support. So I don't know what the answer is, but I love the question. I think that the answer to that question will help us know how to build community better. And, and just to address um, your, your, your issue about the artists, it's up to us. I'm, I'm on speaking terms with almost everybody in my field. Because when I see them at a concert or a festival or whatever, I'm just like, how are you? How's your life? How's, how's everything going for you? Like, that's the point is to reach out. Yes. You know, and so, you know, I mean, it's partly because I was in management for, you know, for, for a while, you know, that I can reach out to other people and just say, you know, hey, who do you who are you using now for liability insurance? You know, how did you, how did that go with the tour bus? Oh, it was awful. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, what a huge expense, you know, and oh, the driver was like, not your type. Oh, okay. You know, so there are different paradigms and yeah, it's up to us to kind of share stories. Um, but I'd, I'd like to still kind of focus in on, you know, what the Kirtan, ways that the Kirtan community could improve. And I'll just throw it out there, even though it's not part of our, our discussion about finances. But um, when I go to festivals, uh, the way that kirtan is presented is pretty widely varied. And so if they're representing a group, there's a certain sell point that's a little bit like proselytizing. And then there's, you know, another group that just, they just like, chanting or they got into yoga and so then now they're they're just chanting and there's no they're not asking you to join a group they're not trying to introduce you to their guru there's like none of that and then there's yet another whole group that's like um um doing kirtan just because it's fun and yeah. it's okay uh to add a little drugs maybe a little ecstasy and um just kind of like it's like a nice way to go through a festival because you kind of meet some nice people but it's not so much about the the yogic lifestyle you know pristine yeah so you know the kirtan that goes kind of in those three categories is is very different and so the people who you know might be saying hey join our group um you know that can that is in some ways responsible for why some members of the yoga community at large are saying, you know what, we don't, you know, no to chanting at the beginning of class, or no to anything but loka samastaha at the end of class, or no to anything except om. Oh, that's so, that's a really interesting perspective. That's not one that I get up here in my small Oregon town uh, because we, we don't have any gurus. So, um, well, just but, look at it like like uh, just take you know Krishnadas. 
you know, so he has this guru and he tells stories about the guru. Mm. And so in some ways it's, uh, you know, then other people who love Krishnadas and his dedication to chanting, then they take that up and they're like, I saw Maharaji in a dream. And yes. So now now yeah. he's my guru. And yeah. so now, now we have a whole thing that's like somehow attached to guru. And, and it's not about the guru. It's about you connecting to yourself. It's like it's about you being a better person for having come into the practices, whether it's yoga or chanting or meditation or whatever. So, you know, the ego and the mind, they always want to differentiate. They always want to create separation. And, you know, like I said, that's that is a problem within the, the, the Kirtan community. And the other the other side uh, is a problem of of drug use. Yeah, I used to see that when I would go to Bhakti Fest, but it's hard to look around and not get what you're saying about that wa, you know, especially yeah. at night. I, I see yeah. something that, that's that's uh, similar. I don't spend as much time in festivals as I think um, wa does, but uh, what I wanted to say is that um, I do I do see that there is definitely the, those um, different categories you're pointing to. How, how I've been thinking about it lately because. You know, it's it's hard to articulate these things and come you know come up with categories and think about what we're seeing. But you know, it seems to me that some of kirtan happens in ashrams and associated with gurus and, and particular spiritual lineages. And most of what I've offered has been in a context that's either in yoga studios or or, or somewhere else where I would say it's more secular and multicultural. And so. You know, what I'm seeing is, um, you know, I've been to India and the lineage was uh, Sri Kaleshwar and various other folks, and I've had many of those experiences. What I'm seeing is that um, a lot of the folks I run into, especially as I'm building community, not community that's been built, but as I'm building new community, they're not really that interested <laughs> in hearing about all that stuff from me. So, you know, I let them uh, pull it if they are interested rather than pushing it. But what I do think from my background in somatics that's very helpful is to say, look, you know, um, kirtan is a practice for us as humans, and let's be humans, and let's do this practice, and let's see how it impacts us, and see what happens. Let's notice. And I think that that's a, a way of um, inviting people into the practice that's more skillful in that secular and multicultural environment. And I've been I've been involved in a project lately where we're, we're um, doing some innovative stuff with the practice of mindfulness. So I've been, as I've been studying mindfulness, I've been just actually amazed. Here's some people who took the essential insights and practices of Buddhism, stripped it out of that context, put it in a secular and scientifically grounded context, and called it mindfulness. And mindfulness is everywhere. I was... Mm -hmm. Uh, my friend's house and I, I was on the road. I was at this person's house. I pulled out the mayonnaise and it was called mindful mayonnaise. You know? <laughs> That's too and funny. I, and I, and I, thought, I could do mindful of how much fat is in it probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I thought, I thought, you know, what if Kirtan, uh, what if we did a similar thing? What if Kirtan was heartfulness practice? And um, we focused on the, the way that it impacts us as human beings as opposed to, um, you know, the historical uh, roots of it. And it, it just it just got me thinking. So, I, you know, kirtan is uh, just an amazing practice. And how can we be skillful like these mindfulness folks were in getting it to be more accepted? Well, here's one more solution that's along that line. Um, there's a, a new 
it's basically a yoga center in Los Angeles, but it's a meditation center. And so uh, most yoga centers, like every hour or hour and a half, they'll have a class. Eight o'clock, you know, 9.30, 11, whatever, they'll have a noon class. So every hour of the day, there's a yoga a yoga class going on. So this center is, is a meditation center. And so every hour, there's a different person leading an hour-long meditation. And, you know, if this is a, a, a business model that actually takes off, within those meditation centers that are offering a meditation class at every hour of the day, we could also maybe work into those meditation centers uh, a, an hour of kirtan. And it could be led by local artists or if, you know, there was a, a, a traveling artist that came in, you know, maybe they could take an evening slot or maybe take two slots. So, you know, this this is then designed, I always say, you know, do yoga until you're injured and then chant. And chant, <laughs> chant until you lose your voice and then meditate. And <laughs> That's great. So, you know, if, if we do have a business model coming up of basically meditation centers that offer some kind of meditation program on an hourly basis, we could include both local and uh, touring artists into that community. And that would basically be geared towards those people that aren't they're not moving. They don't want to do yoga. They don't want to touch their toes, whatever. And so it could, if we grouped kirtan more within the meditation community, which is what you're suggesting, Mike, um, I think that would be a really good direction for the kirtan community. Okay. So if you're looking at kirtan on a scale that over here, it's all neurophysiology on the left hand and then on the right hand, it's all God, you know, some people are going to they're going they're going to um fall somewhere within that spectrum and i'm finding that if i if i cater too much to the people who just wanted to be all about neurophysiology i lose the people who wanted to be about god and that's what they that's what they're craving and that's what they want and um you know this doesn't really have a lot to do with compensation but it does have to do with growing the audience and and having people realize what a great tool it is is just a great tool if you can get over the fact that it's from another culture. But growing the audience, I think, is is a big is a big part of this and helping them realize that just, just Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Wa. Well. Uh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what I wanted to say is that I think you're really asking a question. Um and and, and, and I hear two two threads here. One is um how do we in this conversation, how do we um how do we innovate into some compensation models that support people? Mm. Um, because the current ones aren't working. And the second question is, how do we be skillful in sharing this practice um, in our culture? And so, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, what you're, what you're pointing to, Kitsi, is, boy, you know, how do, how do I blend with where other people are at? And some of the folks are very neuroscience-based and they want that. Other folks are more, um, you know, God and deity-based and they want that. And I think this is a really important question. How, what are the, you know, from my leadership background, we talk about what are the narratives? You know, how do we talk about Kirtan such that people go, wow, I want some of that. Yes. You know, give me some of that. That's something I really work on with, with myself and, and folks I work with. And then, you know, what are the instructions we're giving people? Are we making it clear on how, you know, how, how to do this practice? in a way that they feel comfortable and relax and participate. And what are the stories? And, you know, I'm always talking about how do I take this story, if we're going to chant to Ganesh, how do I make this story of Ganesh relevant to that to someone's life? 
not not an exotic thing. Oh, when I was in India and blah blah blah. I mean, that's great, but you know, in your life right now, what does this what does this mean, mm. and what does this experience mean? So, you know, um, I think this all just really comes back to this question of how do we be skillful in normalizing and, and humanizing and inviting people in and making accessible this practice. Mm. Mm. That's a good point. Well said. Yeah. Uh, um, I'll introduce another idea on monetization, which is um, kind of this is spearheaded by the record industry. Uh, they are talking about making yoga teachers submit their playlists and create some kind of royalty system based on, you know, how the, how the, where the music is being played and how often it's being played specifically in yoga centers. So, uh, it's kind of a controversial issue. I don't think that it will go through, but that is one way that the music industry is starting to consider other ways to get money back. And so I've, I've always called the yoga teachers, my DJs because they, they spin my music and that's how, you know, that's how I get known. And so, uh, like I said, I'm not sure where it is in, in, uh, in legislation or even in, in being utilized, but that was one way that has been considered in the music industry to compensate artists. I hear what you're saying, Wa, because, uh, what, you know, um, these guys that are coming out of retirement to do these concerts that you were talking about, they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they don't have any income anymore. There's no royalty income right. anymore. And in the interview that I just did with Ian and, and Gershon, Ian was talking about, and so did Dave, was talking about how in the traditional Indian model, uh, there are wealthy patrons who who subsidize kirtan in India, and that model has not has not transferred to the United States. Here, it's a whole different animal, and it seems that when yoga and capitalism collide, you know, you have a whole spiritual overlay to the whole thing, and and um, it, it, yoga and capitalism don't seem to be real compatible. And kirtan, it seems, is caught in that. Hmm? Well, I think. I'll go ahead and respond. Um, the reason that Kirtan is supported by wealthy patrons or whatever is because they're performing a service kind of as a priest. Mm -hmm. And so you're you're supporting your 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 local rabbi. You're supporting your your uh, your local minister by, you know, these are these are basically singing priests. You know, in, in Africa, they would be the people who, who sing the songs of the people. They keep the, the, the culture alive. They, you know, and so this is worth um, investing in. You know, there's many blessings that come back from that. The kirtan artists in America, you know, they're not, they're not in that position of priest. They're really more in the position of musician. Mm. And so that's why I'm, I'm kind of approaching it that way and we the musicians do have organizations you know we have bmi and ascap we have sound exchange um you know we do have industry we do have associations that are representing us in congress it's just that everybody at this point is kind of throwing up their hands and just saying we don't know what to do you know like there's just there's no money in it and so then you know what it ends up coming out in the wash is that uh, kirtan can be a hobby and kirtan can be something that we do like meditation for our own benefit. Uh, 
and that there are local groups that that come together and you know there's you have a local karate place and maybe you know local dojo or something like that and it's like the whole world isn't converting over to martial arts um but we know about it and we know its benefits and we've seen the movie karate kid you know, so then it's like there's a certain awareness of chanting Om. There's a certain awareness of of kirtan in general. There's some groups that are like totally uh, into it. You know, more fanatic, and some other people like Mike that are are saying this is a good meditation tool. So, you know, if we get to the point where you know kirtan is no longer a money making venue, then we're all doing it for spiritual benefit, and is that a problem? You know, if, if if we don't have any music, music programs in the schools and we don't have, you know, any events that support artists, then we simply won't have any artists in our culture. We won't have photographers. We won't have journalists. We won't have uh, musicians. We won't have kirtan leaders. So, you know, it behooves us to continue some kind of model of education that, that keeps music alive. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, but within our community, it's small enough that if we don't want that to happen, we can take steps so that it doesn't. And if you were going to recommend something that would help help you the most to stay afloat, it, would it be supporting you at your concerts? Would it? Uh, is that? I mean, I think yes. I I think that that supporting live concerts does two things. You know, one it gives the performing artists the opportunity to continue to perform. So that's valuable because, you know, what's happening with the millennials and some of the younger rap artists, stuff like that, they don't have any experience performing. And so as as you learn to perform as a musician, you mess up and you fall on your face and you learn how to recover. You develop certain skills that basically is called, you know, experience. And so a performing artist needs to perform in order to fine-tune their craft. Mm. The other thing that performing uh, people coming to concerts does is that it allows people to come together. And I think that this is really important, and I talk about it in, in you know, my teaching. Um, you know, all those feel-good hormones are released through skin contact, through, you know, looking in someone else's eyes, through caring about somebody. You know, this doesn't happen online. Do come out to the events because you're going to meet people. You're going to, it's, it's going to do everything to foster that feeling of community and, and make you feel like, wow, there are other like-minded people in the universe and there are people who are selfless. There are people who are, are, you know, wanting to meditate, wanting to better themselves. So it helps both the artist, the performing artist, and I think it helps the community. So that's my big sell, is really come out to the live events. Why that? You're right. <laughs> You're right. And, and, and it was beautifully said. You know, I, I would like to agree. I think um, one way of thinking about kirtan and why it's so rare and such a treasure is that it's a social practice. Yeah. And we don't really have so many of those in our culture. We're very individualized, very individualistic, a lot of folks feeling very isolated. And kirtan is something we come together and co-create. And I think that's uh, very unique and very powerful. So I, I agree. I feel like 
getting people to live events to have those experiences with it, with each other is is crucial. And one of the um, elements that I'm aiming for in the kirtan that I do is something that, um, from my lineage, Swami Kaleshwar called it groupism, which was a funny word, but it's actually a form of collective spirituality. And I think that that's, that's possible within kirtan is to be doing that um, and, and, and very potent and powerful. You know, it pains me a while to hear how you have three, you know, 300 songs, you're making $10 a month on Spotify. That's, that's absolutely um, horrendous that we live in a situation like that. And yeah. I don't know how to, how to, how to go back to um, where things were, you know, however many years back we want to go in the 90s or the early 2000s or just in my experience, 2009 and 2012 were radically different. Hmm. So I think the piece that I feel is really important that we step into as a Kirtan community is, okay, how do we innovate? Like what I've heard, I've heard you share a, a number of innovations that sound like they're working. So how, how do we get more of that? And how do we bring a spirit of innovation um, for the sake of, you know, gaining support for the artists individually and also for spreading this amazing practice? And so the question now is, what will Kirtan look like in the future? What is Kirtan? How is Kirtan useful for the millennial? And so, you know, the paradigm that we have received so far from the baby boomers Krishna Das, Jayutal, Matan, and Dev Pramal. Um, it's, it's a certain image, it's a certain way of sharing the practice. And now with all the, you know, it's a share economy, the millennials, you know, come together in different ways. I think that, you know, what Mike is doing as far as using Kirtan for leadership training, um, using Kirtan as a meditation tool, using Kirtan, um, you know, in you know, in cancer clinics, you know, in halfway houses, using it as a, a community service tool rather than a money-making tool is probably where Kirtan is headed. And I think that that wouldn't be a bad thing. Hmm. We yeah. need the new, you know, we need the new leaders to step forward and, and offer Kirtan um, from a different perspective. Mike, you want to say anything before we wrap it up? I hear conversation about boomers and millennials, and what about us poor generation Xers? <laughs> caught, caught, caught in the, in the middle. middle. <laughs> caught in the middle. That's, yeah, that's where that's all three of us, and that's <laughs> you know that's why we're talking. We're kind of we're the bridge, and we always have been the bridge. Mm. So, and that's why we're we're interested to even come together on this afternoon mm. yeah. and brainstorm about what can be done. And what can be improved. That's our service to society. Yep. Anyway, well, today uh, I have asked Jai Utal and Ben Leinbach to be here to talk about artist compensation and what's going on in the world of kirtan artists and how they are are or are not making money and of course you guys all know jai he's been involved with the scene forever and ben leinbach is one of the producers of i mean most of the kirtan uh, cds that you listen to uh, a lot of them have been produced by ben so he's been around for a while as a musician and a producer and so you know i have had i've talked to Ian Basio now of Blue Spirit Wheel and Chantlana and Gershon uh, Hendelberg, and I've talked to Mike Cohen and Wah, and all four of them had completely different, um, uh, completely different takes on 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 this. But everybody agrees 
that the current model uh, is not working, <laughs> to put it mildly. So I don't know. I, I, I like to preface just by saying when uh, a moment ago you said that this is a situation that's being experienced by kirtan artists. The, the reality is that this new uh, hmm, trend in the music business is affecting every artist from the, from the poorest to the most, most successful. You know, there's been issues with Beyonce yeah. oh. uh, suing, was it Spotify or was it Pandora? I don't want to like say Spotify. something wrong. Yeah, it was Spotify. Spotify. That's right. Because one of her songs had millions and millions of streams. And I think she got under a thousand dollars. And, and the, the startling thing is that, that she lost the lawsuit. And it's just because, you know, all the, the, um, Copyright laws and stuff for, for streaming are, are not, they're not established yet. Uh-huh. So it, it, it's essentially, there's, there's this incredible split, you know, music lovers who we love, um, you know, for them, all the streaming services are heaven on earth because they can hear pretty much anything they want to hear for a very small monthly fee. But for the artists, so there's this disconnect, the music lovers don't realize that artists need to make a living in order to create their art and the streaming doesn't support the artists. It, it, if anything, it, it completely exploits the artists. So mm-hmm. we're a little bit stuck. And law is always, is also in this position. I didn't know Beyonce lost that lawsuit. If Beyonce yeah. loses a lawsuit, my God, what, the, what th- that's just, ah, I mean, but Wah brought up that she has 300 songs on Spotify and she made, I don't know, $10 last month. Yes, it's, that's typical. Yeah. And that's, that's high, actually. But no one's really making – she, she pointed out that no one actually is making money from it. The artists aren't making money, and, but neither evidently – I mean, who who is making money from this if Spotify and, and Pandora aren't? The, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Spotify and Pandora are making a killing – as far as uh, you know, big companies go. I, th- I think they pay. I think I think mostly the record labels. I think Spotify and Pandora do pay a significant, a good chunk of change to the record labels for the rights to use the music, but um, that uh, doesn't necessarily trickle down to the artists. Hmm. That's what I read in Rolling Stone. The hmm. new theory is the the new paradigm is the trickle up theory, <laughs> where. <laughs> <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. Where, where <laughs> Lay that one on me. <laughs> offers their work um, for a small fee, in order that it, it can become more and more widespread, and and the people who are hosting the offering get very very wealthy. <laughs> so it's like it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a gig in Colorado, and I I had some CDs out on a table, and um some guy came up and picked up one of the cds sangha and looked at it and was like wow check out you got all these artists man this is cool david Kamal, jai utah donna delory this is great what a nice cover this, this album looks great man how much is it 15 dollars. oh cool great yeah then he just put it down on the table and walked out he i felt like he was just getting a visual on the album cover so he, he could go home and dial it up on spotify or pandora oh. yeah and, you know, I had no idea that CDs are so expensive to produce. Yeah, yeah, it's very expensive. And, you know, 
I've done a couple albums in the Ben knows for, for super, super low money. And I've pulled in favors from people, but you know, that's not a way to live. First of all, you can't survive your own self, but also the, the people that you work with. They, they, I don't like to hire a musician for a week of work and say, yeah, man, I can give you $300. Um, it's okay for to do that with a friend once or even twice, but after that, no, you have to pay people properly. Um, there's a thing here, though. You know, like at, at my Kirtan camps, the main thing I encourage people, some, many people come to, to Kirtan camps and they, and they ask me for career guidance and stuff like that. And, and I don't discourage or encourage, but I say that that's not what we're really doing here. And I, what I do encourage, like big time, is, you know, start gathering with your friends and your family um, regularly and sing kirtan together and, and, and make a core of, of people that, that you can share this with and, and, you know, and then do that for a long time. And then, then maybe we could discuss careers and stuff, but that's also just protecting them because <laughs> people, <laughs> people have this idea, Oh, I'm going to become a kirtan star and I'll, then I'll kind of be rich like Ben Lineback in Jai Utah. And, and, <laughs> and, and they, yeah, that's they pretty don't funny. have a clue. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hardly know what to tell young kirtan singers. Um, I, I I can't keep up with the number of, of CDs and things that I get from people. And um, I, I, I agree with you about the local model, you know, about... Uh, but, but then again, big kirtan singers coming through are what bump our spiritual practice in small towns like ours up to a higher level. Uh, and if we can't support you in, in doing what you do so that you can tour and come to our towns, then we will not get that benefit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the thing is, is that no money for Kirtan, what that doesn't take into consideration is that isn't it true that in, in, uh, in India there is a, a, a system of patronage which wealthy citizens – um, as a matter of karma, are expected to support spiritual activities in their communities as, yes, as part, yes. part of yeah. it. And uh, that model has not translated to the West. And so telling people that they can't make money, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, it, it doesn't, in, it, it doesn't translate well. Do you know? Do you know? It doesn't. Make, well, the, the thing is, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So God wants me to feed my family. Okay. End of story. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I'm glad that you raised the, the or just said the word patronage. Because in, in India, well, you know, I have to say a lot of these things are dying in India as well. But but tr in traditionally, it was a very, very important part of Indian life to give money to, to or food to, to spiritual practitioners. So that, that patronage was really important. But, but really – Patronage has been a big thing in the West as well in the past. You know, mm. every you know Leon, Leonardo da Vinci would, would he have done anything that he would, would he have been able to do his work if he hadn't been had a patron? You know, right? Shakespeare. It, it's it's long been a, uh, acknowledged that the artists and and the writers, scientists, all all of that, in order for them to continue their work need need help and and that whole entire concept has been lost in in, yeah. 
in modern times. And and then you feel even pretentious, you know, like, hey, help me out. Uh, you like you like what I do? Help me out. And so, some people that I know founded this company called Patreon three years ago, which I think is 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 an amazing model. And it's something that I've been. Uh, you know, telling so many of my friends, hey, you got to get on this because this is a way that we can all help support each other, not just for a project, but for a lifestyle, for a lifestyle of creativity. And, you know, everyone on Patreon, I think there's ah, there's thousands, several thousand, they call them creators, um, who are offering an inside glimpse of their work uh, in exchange for some form of economic patronage, even if it's like a dollar a month. And everybody does it a little differently. Some people do one big project a month that they just offer to the patrons. And the way Patreon is set up is that people who love what you do and and honor what you do, they make a pledge. And there's different reward levels. Like like in my case, people, there's there were five openings for a $100 a month pledge. Where, where I would give a lesson, a private lesson to these five people every month. Um, but the, the real way that it will work out, I think, is if a lot, a lot, a lot of people pledge very, very small amounts. Hmm. And that way an artist can, you know, hopefully stop worrying about <laughs> the, the, so much the finances and begin to be able to create. Um, with, you know, with a little bit less pressure. It's a new model. And the thing is that, you know, for a while I was thinking, well, we got we to gotta fight Spotify. We got to fight Pandora. We got to fight Apple Music. But I, I realized that, that that's not really the right approach now. The, the, because streaming is so popular and people love it. So what we have to do is offer uh, an option, another option. Like a friend of mine, I was taking a walk the other day, and uh, Ben knows this person. I was chatting with this guy, and he said, you know, he's a he's a fan of mine, and he's a big music lover. He says, Jai, we listen to your music all the time in our house. And, you know, we're a little strapped for, for money. So six months ago, my wife and I decided we would never again spend money for music. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, uh, well, then after maybe 10 years – there won't be any more music. Yes. And and I told him about Patreon. And and not that Patreon is necessarily going to be the answer to all of the world's problems, but it seems like um, a really, really good alternative model. We'll see. You know, it's young. Um, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I think our art suffers without appropriate compensation. You know, for me, I I have a lot of music. <clears throat> my own music or stuff I've done in collaboration sitting on my hard drive that I don't even bother working on anymore. Um, part of it's because I feel why bother? Um, why put in all these hours for something that will only render a small amount of compensation? So, you know, I actually have stopped being as creative as I should, as I feel I should be because of the financial constraints of this industry. Yeah. Everyone must be feeling these constraints in the arts and it 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 extends to newspapers and uh uh visual artists and um Doctors. 
Pardon me? Photographers. Photographers. Oh, photographers, of course. Yeah. Yeah, on Patreon, there's all these things. There's cartoonists. There's oh my uh, photographers, many photographers. There's, but you know, I think I'm the first Kirtan artist on Patreon. So that's why, like, come on, everybody, not to uh, become my patrons, but also, you know, all you guys, let's get on. Let's make a circle of, 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 of helping each other. Um, that is so beautiful. That is that is really beautiful. And I think, well. The reason I was inspired to to do these interviews is because of conversations that I've had with Kirtan artists who are telling me, you know, all the different things that are making it difficult for them to uh, live (laughs) in this world that requires money and, and how it's affecting them. And I hope to be able to inspire the community to take this on as our responsibility to uplift our musicians and make sure that they have the resources they need. Um, so this is the beginning of a conversation. I hope that it, uh, I hope that it makes a difference. Yeah, me too. You know, you know, uh, I was just interviewed like, it was like two weeks ago by Huffington Post and, the, and there was a small article. It was a, really along uh, about the same subject. And, and I mentioned this story. It happened quite a long time ago where I got in, in the mail, a check for, I think it was like $250 with with no real explanation of what it was for and just just a, a card like an email address and stuff and i wrote the, the the person and he said that well he loved my album i don't remember which album it was but he loved it so much and he had burned so many copies for friends that he decided it was time to compensate me <laughs> And, and I thought that was like how really, great that was really cool <laughs> that is that's that is really great uh, and so perhaps people are starting to wake up to the to the costs of all these things that we've loved you know because they've been so convenient um, and I'm as guilty as the next person for you know resenting ads coming up on websites where I want to go read things and yeah. you know it's it's all part of this new way of being and we haven't really adjusted to it in so many ways 